Welcome to the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Your source for coyote hunting, fishing, and more. We're calling West Texas, and we're filming, and we called 36 coyotes in one night. Two years ago, three years ago, I had in one morning six bucks that were three and a half and older within 50 yards of my stand. Six different bucks one morning. It was in October. Went made my first coyote stand, me and my cousin. And uh, very first freaking stand, guys, we called up seven coyotes. <laughs> seven coyotes. Florida itself is a fisherman's paradise. We stick out in the middle of the water, man. There's water everywhere. Let's kick it in the overdrive. This podcast brought to you by Predator Hunter Outdoors. Locally owned and operated out of Attica, Michigan, Predator Hunter Outdoors will keep you hunting when the sun goes down. Predator Hunter Outdoors has something for every budget and experience level, including lights, night vision, and thermal, as well as a full line of tripods, mounts, and predator calls. Look them up on Facebook and Instagram at Predator Hunter Outdoors, or visit their webpage at www.predatorhunteroutdoors.com. Enter the promo code LIGHT for 20% off light products, and TRIPOD for 10% off tripods and mounts. With today's technology, hunters in the field have more tools than ever to maximize their outdoor experiences. One of those tools is a Grand Rapids, Michigan-based HuntWise app. The HuntWise Pro app is loaded with features including property lines, landowner data, windcast, huntcast, over 250 map layers including 3D maps, a localized rut indicator, as well as discounts of 20% off various name brand products. Step up to the Elite membership and you will get all of that plus HuntCast 2.0 with customizable alerts, Whitetail 365 which gives you season dates and local rut times as well as the best time to plant your food plots, a 15 day hunt forecast and 40-50% to 50% discount on name brand products. Enter code OVERDRIVE for 20% off your membership to HuntWise. Hello everybody and welcome to the OVERDRIVE Outdoors podcast again this week. Uh, tonight we have myself, Kevin Rott, along with my buddy and partner, Mr. Josh Mates, and don't take partner the wrong way in that. <laughs> well, I mean, worse comes to worse. <laughs> no, no, I'm good. I think I'll do it all. Winter's getting pretty cold around here. <laughs> How you doing tonight? Um, I'm, I'm happy, man. Um, you know... <laughs> Well, I'm I'm in a good mood because oh. I finally have gotten my smoker working. I've seen that. I just made cornbread on it. Nice. It, uh, so, it took a little while, but I got it made. So why do that? Because a new smoker, let's say a hog roaster, because we've talked about it. Now that I've learned how to properly bake meat and properly cook food and everybody likes what I cook... I'm not tooting my own horn. There's a lot of times where I'm like, man, I don't like that. My wife's like, just shut up. <laughs> it is delicious. Well, that's but part of the process. You yeah. Know, you're learning. I don't think it's always the greatest food, but they like it. Everybody else likes it. My mother-in-law loves my cooking no matter what it is, but hates it coming from most other people. Your um, mother-in-law loves your meat? Mom, yeah. <laughs> both of them. <laughs> See, now this is this is where we get ourselves in trouble, Kevin, because I could go back through and edit this, but I'm not going to. We're just going to leave this because this is just me and you talking like we always have. Right. So welcome to the inside of the circle. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, but now I seem to have more family gatherings at my house. Oh, there's Christmas. Well, we can have it at Josh's house. Josh, you want to make this? Okay. Um, my brother, I don't want to jinx anything, is getting married in August. And I was asked to cater it as far as smoking a bunch of pork butts. Well, I have two different smokers at home right now. I've got a charcoal a charcoal grill smoker that I got from Tony Bond and Segna when I moved into this house. And that's a charbroil with a smoker box on it, right? Yeah. It's not even a smoker box. It's a charcoal side or a propane side. Okay. Gotcha. So I've been smoking. I haven't, I doubt the propane side even works anymore because I haven't hooked up propane to that since I started learning to use charcoal. A lot of that has come from help from Tony, figuring out what to do with that kind of stuff, um, and sometimes hooking me up with charcoal. Love you, Tony. Thank you. Um, but the flavor of charcoal and smoke is way better than anything I'll get off of propane. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things I've noticed, too, once I learned how to actually start charcoal good without lighter fluid. Yep. Whenever I want to cook something and have it taste good, that's what I'm doing is charcoal. And I don't I don't mess with propane unless it's something I need quick. The only downside to charcoal is babysitting it. Right. I mean, and it's going to be a problem right now with the smoker I just built. So what I was getting at was now that I have all this stuff people want me to cook, I've cooked for two family reunions now in a row where I'm doing multiple pounds of chicken and pork loins and bacon wrap stuff and jalapenos. I have a propane smoker that's like a, eight rack or something like that but i hate i don't i will never mimic the flavor i like the most out of smoked food on that so i've been kind of looking at charcoal smokers for a while like actual charcoal smokers and they make one kind of like a pellet grill where it drops the pellets in but they make them for charcoal and that, yeah that's what um jeremy uses is one that's a pellet smoker but is it a charcoal one or pe wood pellet? Pellet. Well, I don't know their pellets. I think it's wood pellet. So this one actually will feed uh, charcoal into it to keep the temperature. So you don't have to babysit it and you're still getting your charcoal flavor, the charcoal smoke, and then you can mix in the wood chips, whatever you want to do. Well, I've been looking at those and those are upwards of $1,000. I'm looking at custom made not custom made but you know like even somebody building a smoker with an offset box out of a 50 gallon drum yep. looking at six seven eight hundred bucks for somebody to build that for you put it on legs get it all how you want it to go now one advantage is you're probably going to get something that works right out of the box and you don't have to do a lot of experimenting i don't have that kind of money just sitting around to play with so i ended up getting two free 50 gallon steel drums both of them food grade steel drums uh one of them had some stuff in it but it was it was shipped with a liner in it so the liner saved everything on the inside of the barrel um i ended up cutting the the first barrel about about a third of the way down stuck that in the ground and that is my firebox now that is right now about six feet from where i put another 50 gallon barrel on top of a hill with a six inch exhaust pipe underground going from the burn barrel to the smoke box. With that 50 gallon drum barrel smoker that I have out there now, I will bet that I can comfortably get six to eight 
pork butts on that smoker at a time. All cooking at the same temperature, roughly, I should be able to cater a wedding for my brother. I should be able to make plenty of birthday meals and holiday meals and Thanksgiving turkeys on a smoker this big. And in total, in the end of the day, with all the parts that I've had help with, um, the exhaust for underground, I was given. The 50-gallon barrels, they were free. The, the only thing I got money into is I got four stainless steel rods that go across the smoker barrel, and those are for me to set grates on. The grates I bought, they're 23-inch grates, so I got two 23-inch grates in there and four stainless steel dowels. I'm running two thermometers on the outside, about a foot difference. And the interesting thing to me, and you tell me if this makes sense to you, I have about 10 to 12 inches between thermometers. The bottom, I assume, is always, well, I kind of assume the bottom was going to be colder than the hot because heat rises, or the top because heat rises. I actually have about a 30 degree temperature loss in that 12 inches from bottom to top. That's quite a difference. I know, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Now, Tony says it's because there's so much air around it that it's trying to keep hot, too. Plus, you're up that much higher, so you got a different amount, I don't know, however much area the smoke and heat has to actually warm up, you know. Um, now, I'm running it right now without a chimney on top of that smoke box. And this is how redneck this stuff is, okay? So... I've been trying to figure out how to keep airflow into the fire box to keep enough fire going that I can get the, the blow through the vacuum effect through to my smoker so I can get the temperature up right. I originally had it 10 feet away, smoke box to fire box, and I got zero heat out of it that way. So I ended up taking six feet of that out, moving it six feet closer to the fire, to the smokehouse itself. So I didn't think with how much uphill, so so imagine like a, I don't know, it's probably about three, it's probably about four to five feet of a difference between the smoke box in the air to the fire box in the ground. I have immediate smoke flow, but getting the heat up through there is what is the problem. And right now I actually, actually have TV, Mr. Tyler Volink. He is making me a six inch by I think 22 inch chimney to bolt to the top of my smokehouse. They say a buddy of mine messaged me yesterday. They said putting a chimney on going up that high with a flue on top or a, a damper on top will actually help the vacuum effect because it's got to just heat up that that piece itself, the the uh the chimney part. I don't I don't honestly know how all this stuff works. I've never lived with a wood smoker or a wood uh wood heater uh wood stove i've never had one of them i lit one one time were you with us at that point over at mark's yeah when i almost burned the, the uh smoked ourselves <laughs> out of there pretty much yeah i almost burned the cabin down our first time ever staying at mark's house that was great that's how much i know how to do with this stuff uh, uh adjusting the air intake adjusting the outflow from the, the other side i'm learning that as i go and honestly, the only reason I'm doing it this way is because it is such a money savings. And in the end of the day, if it's going to work, which I just told you, I just finished up my own cornbread on it. That smoke was good in that cornbread. Um, I'm running it at about 250 degrees. I can get it up to 300 degrees. 
But for me to do everything I need to do for our family, even a family pack of drumsticks is hard to get on a little tiny charcoal grill. Now, the problem with the smoker I just built is it's going to take a lot of wood and a lot of charcoal to get that heat going in there. But honestly, I've had that fire burning for more than 24 hours now, and it hasn't gone out yet. Oh, wow. A lot of that is just embers staying in there and heat. Um, Owen actually said when he woke up, he ate his breakfast, did his schoolwork and went outside and opened the lid and started putting wood back in it and heating it right back up. So they're kind of using it as a heat box and doing some stuff with it. But tomorrow I'm going to come home and get jerky on it and I'm going to smoke jerky. I have never smoked jerky properly before. The first time I did it was in a propane smoker and I laid it flat on aluminum foil and it was terrible jerky. It did not turn out. I'm going to hang them probably by toothpicks. Um, actually, Ross Graveling gave me an elk roast last year from his daughter. And it's a huge roast. And I've been trying to figure out what to do with it to make it for a big family get together or something. But instead, I took that, thawed it out until it was just, just to the point of being frozen enough that I could meat slice it. I sliced it at three millimeters thin and I got two bags of it right now, probably about two pounds, maybe three pounds of meat uh, sliced up and marinating for tomorrow when I get home from work. And we're going to fire up the smoker and smoke our first batch of jerky on it. What are you marinating it in? Um, One of them is like high mountain hickory, something like that with their cure. And it's sitting in a little bit of soy sauce with some water. Um, all mixed up and then the other one is actually going to be spicy i i kind of did that on purpose because i want some of my own jerky or i'll never get it mm. um it is about a cup of water and then about a half of cup of sriracha sauce and then crushed red pepper on top of that some black pepper and smoked paprika and okay. i'm going to hope that that one turns out uh, nice and spicy because i like a little bit of spice it, i might have put in too much sriracha but that's not really that terribly hot either. Um, that's just going to be a trial run right now because usually we make our jerky in the dehydrator and we do it out of burger and we love it that way. There's nothing wrong with it that way, but this could be another thing that I do with more meat. Um, we've talked about that multiple times on different episodes. I want to learn more methods of doing stuff. I could put a whole deer, I could put a whole deer hind quarter on this smoker mm -hmm. and smoke it and turn it into sandwich meat. That's the kind of stuff I want to do. That's why I built my own. And at the end of the day, I'm going to look at it and say, I built it and look at all the stuff that's coming off of it. So there's so, that pride factor. For anyone that's wanting to know, is there a name for this type of setup? Um, Honestly, I couldn't 100% tell you. I got this idea from a sausage making book that i got for christmas um we got a sausage stuffer it came with a sausage making book and there was a design from like back in the old days or you know something where they basically would dig a brick they, they would make a brick foundation inside the ground make a fire in that get their air intake and then go out to to a firebox the same way i'm doing it but they did it all bricks clay whatever they had that was kind of what i was just basing this off of and i just took it and went with a 50 gallon drum i originally had tried to bury brick and everything in the ground but 
I did not foresee that withstanding my kids being around and constantly taking the lid off and doing whatever they want um, and getting it level to the point where I wasn't going to have a bunch of air escaping. I just felt better with doing a 50 gallon drum. And I mean, most of the time, even if I didn't get them for free, I could buy a drum for 10 bucks. So I just cost savings was a huge part of why I did it myself. So, and that's, that's great. Plus you're learning a lot about it. And yep. this is something that you don't have to worry about. Maybe someday, you know, having to go to a store or something you can build and have right there and you can repeat it if you needed to. Exactly. That's the other thing. You know, one of my barrels ends up getting messed up somehow or, or burning the lid off. I can find parts for it anywhere. Right. I'm not worried. Craigslist has Facebook marketplace has steel drums all day, every day. Right. You know? Um. Do you know, um, what the difference is going to be and how that performs if you because you mentioned doing like christmas stuff on it yep. how's that going to work if the ground is frozen is that going to make a difference on how it works i'm going to assume it will but honestly that's going to be your guess is as good as mine at this point be interesting I mean, to find out I, during the winter time i really don't smoke too much because especially on charcoal i'm constantly babysitting it and i don't want to always be standing out there right. um but i do know when i have tried it it's been a little harder to keep a temperature because of I assume the cold air and the heavy winds that we oftentimes have during the winter time. Now I kind of wonder if I was telling the boys this, I almost wonder if more wind will be beneficial for me to smoke with this because I'll get better air intake down my tube and my air intake tube right now, again, that's how redneck this is, is a 90 degree gutter attached to a straight gutter back to a 90 degree gutter and that 90 degree gutter at the top that is out of the ground, I rotate it towards the wind direction. So I just pull the wind right in. And sure. that was honestly just a trial run to see if it would work. And like I said, that's where we got it to burn now for over, about 27 hours right now. There's been a fire burning in that smoker. It's hmm. just maintaining the temperature because if I do a long smoke, you know, like a a pork butt, pork shoulder for pulled pork, that's on average 9 to 13-hour smoke, depending on the size. If I start at first thing in the morning, I'll get it done by dinner. You know, if I start at 7 a.m., we might get dinner by 7 p.m. right now. Um, I have to get the temperature to maintain a little bit, but I'm hoping that that's where the uh, chimney that Tyler's going to weld me up and make me is going to be helpful because – from what I understand, it's just easier to work with you when you have less area for the smoke to escape from and the heat to heat up. Um, so we're going to try it when Tyler says that that's ready. He showed me a picture of it today. and It's going to be a pretty little chimney. I didn't ask for anything specific, but he's doing it anyway. <laughs> Interesting to try sometime doing some smoked peppers or garlic or something like that, too. I, I think that would be really good. Because you can, you can almost do it at a low temperature like you do jerky. And you can dry it out and it's smoky that way. And then you could put it through a food processor or a coffee grinder and turn it into your own smoked whatever seasoning. And that's stuff that we're doing too with how big we'd like tripled the size of our garden this year. Right. I don't think we're going to have triple the size of usable ground because my ground is honestly pretty crappy. I hauled in five yards, I think, of of good black dirt a couple of years ago and i'm going to need to probably triple that for what i just put in i've got a lot of rocks 
terrible drainage through there. Um, I mean, I mean the drainage is good, but digging and trying to plant anything in it sucks. So I don't think we're going to get that much yield out of the ground this year, but a year or two down the line after constantly maintaining that ground and moving it and working it up and every fish that I bring home, we bury it right out there in the garden. So all that is hopefully going to play in, but that's one of the things that I'm going to make. We want to do, I want to do like smoked salsas mm-hmm. and, and just get some of that smoky flavor in there. Um, we're, we're putting in a lot more tomatoes so we can make more pasta sauces, more, uh, what else did we make last year? A lot of salsa, a lot of pasta sauce. We made a lot of spaghetti sauce. That was pretty good. Um, my wife likes stewed tomatoes a lot, so we're going to do that. But you could do that smoked just the same. You could smoke it for a little while and then stew them, and you got, like, that good smoky flavor. I like the smoky flavor. You know, something else you could do, too, is even um, smoke, like, some salt. Yeah. Or um, what else they do? Uh, salt or any other spices or herbs, too. You could smoke that stuff, too, to add a little something different to it. Uh, smoked paprika. Right. Which I don't know is what is a paprika? I don't know. <laughs> Let's look it up real quick. Smoked paprika is a real or is is one that I put in a lot of stuff. Um it says paprika peppers. Okay. The paprika okay. pepper is a large cone-shaped chili pepper. So I, I like smoked paprika if i could i wonder if i can find paprika chilies i wonder oh, if i could plant I'm sure that. you could find them probably easy pretty easy to find the seeds online or yeah. find the go to like a you know like a market someplace they might have the peppers someplace but you could probably find the seeds online yeah and then it'd just be growing them and then i don't know if you'd want to grind it first and then smoke it or smoke them first then grind it probably smoke it then grind it Maybe cut them in half and then smoke it and grind it because then you get the flavor through the whole thing. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's all stuff that I'm willing and going to hopefully try. I mean, that's that's all part of why I wanted this thing. I could have, I could have ten different things going on there at one time if I space everything out right. Plus, on top of the firebox, uh, I don't know if you saw the video last night when the kids and I were out there messing with it. We got the firebox hot enough that I put a cast iron lodge cast iron pan on there with some oil and popcorn seeds. Yeah, I've seen that. We had cast iron popcorn right on the top of the fire the firebox. Wow, that's cool. So I told them, I'm like, you know, if I got something that's going to smoke all day and we're all up, I can make breakfast in pans out there too. And we're kind <laughs> of, I can get a lot of smoking wood from my father-in-law. He cuts a lot of trees, cuts a lot of wood. So I already told him, keep an eye out for oak, apple, anything like that. And he'll bring me trailer loads of it. So I... I'm just looking forward to getting stuff on it, but I, we'll see how that uh, that jerky tomorrow turns out. I'm pretty excited to try it for sure, but I don't know. I just I have to learn to trust it, and I have to learn exactly how it wants to be ran. Otherwise, I, I it's just a learning curve right now. There's so much more to it than what I understand. I've never built something like this before, so well, you know that's that's part of the reward. Yeah, in my opinion is learning it and knowing that you have that skill set and knowledge to continue it. Right. Exactly. And the boys are helping me a lot. Owen's helping me a lot, watching temperatures, seeing the smoke, um, you know, just maintaining stuff. And, and that's kind of nice too, because it's getting them outside and he's kind of feeling like he's accomplishing something too. So that works for me. 
Well, plus they're learning something too, exactly. which it will could possibly help them in the future. Homeschool one hundred and one—that's what we're doing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so let's uh go into a little bit of uh, recent hunting activity. I, I, I want to skip that for a second. Oh, okay. I want to shout out to our haters because which ones? Well, which ones did you have a conversation about last week with the DNR of Michigan? You know, I wish I knew who it was. <laughs> Because I have no idea who it was. All I know. Let's is... talk about this, Kevin. Right. <laughs> let's so, see, let's see what happened first. So last week, I uh, had a meeting with a couple of field officers from the local DNR office. Um, we were meeting up with them uh, in conjunction with Mike Latroll and West Michigan Wildlife to help them with a grant to provide their office with equipment that they can use in the field. So what they wanted to see was they wanted to see some examples of thermal night vision because they wanted to get them for their field officers. Yep. So I took, uh, you know, I took my ATN units down there. Mike was supposed to show up with his uh, ATN and Pulsar units. Um, so we met with them and talked with them. And there was one officer there. And I got shown her some examples, uh, you know, like my OTS uh four thor scanner um i brought the odin scanner and we got talking about the like digital night vision and the uh, performance difference between thermal versus night vision in terms of you know identification detection etc and so i was showing her a couple of the videos as examples that i had on my phone downloaded from it and she goes yeah we had someone there was a bobcat video i looked at this year that someone reported for an illegal harvest I'm like, oh, really? I have a Bobcat video here. Check it out. She goes, what's your name? I told her my name, Kevin Rush. She goes, yeah, that's the video. I'm like, <laughs> what? She goes, yeah, someone reported that for an illegal harvest. I'm like, well, what part of it did they think was illegal? She goes, I don't know. I pulled up the post and you had it tagged and everything legal and you had the video. It was in the daylight. So it was a non-issue, but someone called and reported it as an illegal harvest. Now, here's the thing. Mind your own business. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, that's the thing, and this isn't the first time that's happened to members of Overdrive. Nope. You remember years ago when Corbin Kench was part of our group, and him and his wife had shot some gray fox, and someone reported it to the DNR for animal cruelty, yep. and they showed up at his house wanting to see those gray fox. Yep. And again, they had done nothing wrong. They had everything right. The DNR was fine with what they did, but it's just the fact that someone took that effort to try and report them just to get them in trouble. So how good of a feeling, I mean, did you get a warm, fuzzy feeling when she said you've been under investigation? <laughs> no, you know, that's the first time I've ever had that happen. I'm like, you know, I, I tend to be a stickler on following the rules. Yeah. And it's just for this reason. I want to make sure all my stuff's done right. I don't want any issues. So I try to make sure I do that stuff right. So to have the fact that someone thought it was an illegal harvest, the first thought was, well, someone's a moron because I know I did my stuff right. Mm -hmm. And the second thought is going through your mind, you're like, crap, did I do something wrong? Is there mm -hmm. some detail that I missed or something like that? But, you know, when you go through it and you're like, I don't see where I did anything wrong. And the DNR says, yeah, it was a non-issue. There was <laughs> nothing there to investigate. You know? That's why we post what we do. I mean, deer, they got tags on them. They right. got the picture because we try to avoid this kind of stuff. Our, I've never, well, I can't say I've never had a negative run-in with a CO. There was a time where I did a lot of stupid stuff and I wouldn't do them now. We'll say that. 
Right. A lot of people know those stories, but I don't know, man. It just, uh, I, I don't know how I'd feel when they're like, Hey, I've seen that video. <laughs> right. We've been watching that video for a while. Yeah. Now, right. To- yeah. Was. You know, and it was a positive interaction. Like I said, she said there wasn't an issue. Everything was good. Everything was legit. And there wasn't an issue, but still it just, it makes me wonder what the source was if it was an anti-hunter if it was just a hater if it was you know just someone that was ignorant and i don't know and that's one thing i didn't ask her specifically was if it was off my personal page or if it was off overdrive yeah who knows where it could have came from i would be more inclined to believe it came from overdrive based off of the reach that we have on there versus you know not as many people follow little old me or more people follow overdrive yeah yeah, it just it just blows my mind that I mean and and good on the Michigan DNR. Right. Because it sounds like they were definitely following up on it. We just right. we weren't aware that we had eyeballs on. Us. Right. And that's you know, and I'm I mentioned that to her. You know, the thing is we're involved in so many different pages on top of our own, and we often see things that we know based off researching and learning and everything else that we know isn't right here's one huh here's one i got fox attacking my chickens what do i do sss shoot them you have a right to protect your livestock while i agree with all that you can't do it right and you know i have a letter or a message directly from the dnr stating that and i've reaffirmed it with two different field officers in my area and they all are on agreement as to you cannot take fox or bobcat out of season without a permit from a dnr biologist yeah and i'll say straight up i i i my opinion on that and this is not the opinion of overdrive outdoors this is my own personal opinion if it's hurting your livestock coming in and taking anything out of your yard, I think you should be able to protect your own livestock. That is my personal opinion. However, we can't even go help people like that because we're not probably going to get the permits. And for people that are having that issue, you know, what the biologist is probably going to tell you is he'll give you tips on how to reinforce your um, pen or your coop or whatever to try and protect your animals more. Um, before they would even consider issuing you a permit that being said you can also contact a licensed nuisance control specialist in the state and they are specially licensed to help deal with those situations um i don't know any of them that do it for free you're going to pay for that service but that is an option that is out there we are not licensed at least i'm not i don't think you are Um, not as nuisance control like that So we can't do that. Anytime we have to do anything like that, it has to be when the animal is in season and we have the proper tags for it, which includes base license for harvesters, et cetera. Right. What are some other things like that that you see sometimes that you're like, that's not true? Um, You know, I don't know about not true, but what I see a lot is improper tagging, especially of bobcats. Um, I can't tell you how many I've seen where they just wrap a tag around a paw. Um, There's really only one way to legally tag a bobcat in Michigan. And it has to have your tag attached through the eye socket and out basically the top of the mouth. Um, And it's a pain in the butt. I told the DNR officer that too. I said, you know what, it's 
it's a pain in the butt to try and get that because you have to have a really good knife and you have to be careful because you don't want to ruin the pelt. But basically you go in like underneath the top lip along the gum line and cut all the way up to the eye socket on the inside of the eyelid. That's where you put your, you know, your string or zip tie or whatever. And then you affix your tag to that. Do you know why they make you do it that way? I honestly have no idea. Um, but I think bear is real similar too. You have to have your bear tagged a particular way too, if I remember right. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to check that out. Um, I know. I mean, I know we've always had ours tagged right. Yeah. Um, and we have that in the pictures, but you know, right off the top of my head, I don't remember exactly how that is. I think it's similar to how they do the bobcat, but not quite the same. See, now one thing I see a lot, and I don't know how the DNR can even keep up with this one, is illegal tagging of white-tailed deer. Right. You cannot wrap the tag around the antler. It, it is not legal to do it that way. Right. I don't care. Once again, if there's a tag on it that's legal and it's got your name on it and you did it properly, I sh I don't care how it's done. But the proper way is not wrapped around an antler. I believe it's supposed to be completely legible all the way around. Attach it to a zip tie, flip it around both sides, you're done, and it's easy. Right. Um, now, the only thing with that is you have to make sure that it doesn't get caught on anything hung up. Right. Um, I have had to walk back, actually, this year on a doe. I had a, a tag on her, got her out to the road, and realized it pulled off somewhere, had to run all the way back following the trail and find the tag again. So I don't like that because at that point, I was now walking right. out of the – the woods with an untagged whitetail right i did not like that at all but that's the kind of stuff you got to watch out for but once again a zip tie through the ear or something on a deer or on a doe and with the tag wrapped around that it's not gonna it's not just gonna pull off what i have problems with is when i try to go through like the the back tendon on the back leg there and i wrap yeah, it yeah if it's cold, you get any snow on your fingers, anything while you're trying to do that, or you get a bunch of hair inside that tag, which is what always happens to me, it just doesn't stick. So zip ties is the best way for me, but that's one that I see a lot. And I'm like, man, they can't, they can't just go ticket everybody for that. There's no way. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, and you see it with almost all animals throughout the year where people post pictures you know, every, every year you'll see a turkey that's not tagged or not tagged right. You'll see bobcat, you'll see bear, you'll see deer. Um, you'll see a bunch of them that are like that. And it's it's going to happen. And I think part of it, you know, is ignorance. People just don't know. And part of it is people get in a hurry to take that trophy pick or whatever and rush things or whatever, you know. I mean, it happens. And you as as well as I both know that they're monitoring that. And we have heard people getting busted for pictures that they posted on Facebook with yeah. an improperly or not tagged animal. A lot of times it's, he posted this picture on the 20th and he didn't buy his tag till the 21st. Yeah. <laughs> like they, they can find this stuff out. It's very easy for them. Right. To they're especially not, with, <laughs> especially with the new system they have like the app. I mean, yeah, things on there, but I mean, it always has been, ever since they started doing it on computer but right yeah well so that was uh yeah that was interesting when you called me about that like man we've been under the we've been under the radar for a minute now <laughs> right glad to know it now five months later <laughs> right so how did your uh how'd your hunting weekend go i know you got one i got zero zip zilch nada backdoored hardcore <laughs> 
I got Friday night was a bust. I didn't have, well, I had vocals, didn't see anything, but I had vocals that were pretty good on like three out of four stands Friday night. I did not go out Saturday night. And then Sunday night, I was able to go out again. Um, it's kind of one of my honey holes where they have a lot, it's a cattle farm. They have a lot of calves out right now. They've been seeing the coyotes, uh, I want to say last week. Um, she sent me a message and she had seen one in the pasture with the cattle. Um, she ended up going out there on a side-by-side -side or a quad. And she said it stayed out there until she got out there and then it ran off. Uh, she told me where it ran to and everything. So I wanted to get out there and try and see if I could eliminate one or two. There's always coyotes out there. I don't think I've been out there a time when I haven't either seen them or heard them. Yep. So I went out there, got out there probably about 7.30, 8 o'clock. My plan was to go out, sit on the ground, and watch this area where I know they often come out. They come out the same spot that the deer do. If they didn't, I was going to call and, um, you know, just like I normally do. Well, I get out there, and I look at it, and um, the grass is so tall, if I would have sat down, I wouldn't have seen a darn thing. Yep. I mean, there's no way. I'm short to begin with, and this grass was tall. Um, <laughs> but Kevin so, says short. Kevin, how short are you? I'm like five six. He's pretty short, guys. <laughs> yeah. So the nice thing is he has a blind right there on the edge of the woods, which the last coyote I killed out there in the daytime, I sat probably 20, 30 yards down from that on the ground. That was when they had a fresh cut hay field. Mm -hmm. This hasn't been cut yet. So I actually said, well, you know, I'll just sit in that blind. So I got in the blind and put up the windows and got comfortable and everything. And I waited for a while. I watched a couple of turkeys go through. Deer started filtering out. And I'm like, all right, well, the deer are out now. So what the heck? I'll run some fawn distress. So I started off with Tony Tebby's platinum fawn, let that go through a cycle, and then just sit and waited. Um, the deer weren't real reactive to it, which kind of surprised me because I know there's got to be fawns on the ground. Which... I, I called in a hard charging doe Saturday night. Well, we had one last night. Okay. But, so we'll get to that in a minute. So they didn't really react to it much. And I waited probably maybe 10 minutes. And then I uh, let loose with Fantastic from Tony Tebby. Yep. Uh, let that one play through. And then sat and waited. And the deer were a little bit more responsive to that one, but they still didn't charge in or anything like that. They were just looking, you know, and moving around a little bit. So I let that one sit and probably about 10, 15 minutes went by and I noticed the deer in the back of the field started snorting and I knew the wind wasn't coming towards them. The yep. wind was in my favor, but they started snorting and I looked down there and looked at them and I could see they were looking at that wood line snorting and I'm like, all right, there's something over there. That's often, you know, kind of the area where the coyotes come through. So I kept watching and sure enough, I seen something pop out down on the end there. I had my thermal with me because I was planning on hunting in the dark and I looked through the thermal and yep, that's a coyote head popping out. Yep. So the coyote popped out and started coming right up that wood line, which is the same thing the one did last time I shot in the daylight out there. And it would come a ways and then it would look out in the field because I had the collar sitting out in the field. Mm -hmm. But of course, like I said, that grass is so tall, you couldn't see it. Right. So I knew he couldn't see it, but I knew where that's where that sound came from. So it would walk away and then look and then go like in and out. And it just kept slowly working its way to me. And I'm thinking, man, I'm just going to let it keep coming. I like to get them close. They had no idea it was there. So I'm just letting it get, come close. So I started recording and I got it 
coming up the tree line and it walked out into the grass and just disappeared. The grass was that tall. I couldn't see it. And I'm like, crap. So if I remember right, I think what happened is I probably left it recording, but I thought I'd stopped it mm -hmm. at that point. So then I'm looking through the thermal, trying to see if I can see it in that tall grass. And of course I did. And it turned back around, came back to the wood edge again, coming my way, hit record again. And it came, it was probably like a 40 yard shot, 50 yard shot tops, dumped it with a 204, it was beautiful headshot, just <laughs> smoked it. I look in my scope, I hit the button to stop recording and I look and it wasn't recording. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. So I had a perfect come in and then the video stops. No shot on it. You cut it off at the good part. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I collected that one. I went and got it. That was a nice size male. He was 33.46 pounds. Uh, collected him so where i'm at in that blind there's a tree line there that's only maybe 20 30 yards across mm -hmm. down there it's thick and then behind me it goes into some tall pines which you can pretty much see through have i been to this property not yet okay. um so i waited for it to get dark and then i went through that tree line to the other field which the other field is all a tilled field there ain't nothing in that one it's dirt yep and um, got out there, put the collar out there a ways, and let out a howl. Instantly got response from straight where this other coyote had come from, pretty much. I have a question. Yeah. How come you didn't just set up there knowing that it was a plowed field and you could see better the first time? Because I know that the coyotes tend to come from that other corner. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's funny. It's one of those spots where... I've seen the majority of coyotes come from one particular area or hear them in one particular area, but I've also had coyotes come from almost every other direction. You can't ever trust just right. one thing. Right. But with how it's set up, I have seen more coyotes come out of that corner than I have anywhere else. Okay. So like I said, I go over to the other field. I let out a howl. I get one to respond and his response sounded aggressive to me. Um, and I got audio of it on the uh, OTS. I recorded it. But so then I just went straight to Tony Tebby's light fight. Mm -hmm. And I seen a couple of deer come out of the woods down at the end. They come running out looking back. And it wasn't, you know, a minute after that coyote pops out, comes out, starts working the way up the wood line. Um, I was using the 4K with the night snipe IR. I had the light on the whole time, but I was keeping it off the coyote just enough so I could see the silhouette of the coyote and just occasionally catch eyes. And I have the beam focused, so I'm not flooding it. And um, so he would come in and it was coming in cautiously, I should say. He would come away and then just stop and he was looking at the collar. And then he would come away and stop and look at the collar. Is it 100% dark out or is there still oh, yeah. a bit of day? Well, it was 90% dark. Yeah. Um, so it comes out and um i seen it i was anticipating it to continue coming so i turned up the intensity of the ir had it sitting i'm saying i'm just gonna let him walk into it and then i'm gonna you know try and stop him if i need to and then i'll take my shot he got just into the edge of that light or just before the edge of that light and turned and started to leave i i think i lip squeaked at him he stopped broadside right at the edge of the woods and I shot, and I, uh, Jeremy and I watched a video on my computer last night. I shot just in front of him. 
<laughs> so he promptly took off like a bat out of hell and exited the field post haste. Oh, um, one for two ain't bad. Right. And there were more coyotes around there because there was more howling off to be the northwest. And then I think there was some howling off to the southwest too. So I know there's more around there. So I tried calling for just a little bit longer, but I didn't want to dump out too much out there. Yeah. Called it a night. Um, so that was Sunday night. Um, then last night, Jeremy got a hold of me. He's been wanting to get out. Um, so we went up to another piece that I have um, where the landowner sent me a picture. I showed it to you. It's of a fawn leg. Oh, yeah. I had been eaten. So he knew one fawn had been killed. And then another doe he knew had just had triplets, I think, that morning. So I told him I'd be out there. So this property, go walk behind his house and farm. It's a huge open field, drops into woods, and then drops down into a swamp. Um, if you go on YouTube, you can find a video I did out there, some killer vocals I had one time in the daylight. A couple of years so, huh a couple of years ago yeah that was a few years ago that was that was a minute ago yeah. <laughs> um so we get out there and we walk behind the farm and the landowner was there and we're talking to him for a minute but as we're walking up jeremy says hey there's a coyote out there and it's all a hay field right now and he's seen this coyote and susie's seen it i looked and i just caught a glimpse of it bounding away off to be our right which okay. is where i wanted to go set up anyway is it cut hay or tall still it's not cut yet okay it's all tall so I told landowner, I said, well, that's where we're going to head because that's where he had found the fawn parts and where those triplets were born was down in that same area. So this was like 745. It was still pretty early. Mm -hmm. So Jeremy and I walked down there. Um, there's a tree line on the edge there. I told Jeremy, I said, we're going to get on the high spot. We're going to nestle right against that tree line. We're just going to wait and see what happens. And we were standing up with the tripods. Um, both of us were running thermals and on the far East end, he has three old horses in a pasture down there. Last time I was out there, he didn't have those horses there, but this time he did. So we're sitting there and we're watching the horses and we're watching deer. I bet you it wasn't, we were there maybe 20 minutes, half an hour. And all of a sudden we're like, there's a coyote out there. And it came from the far wood line by the horses came out into the pasture where the horses were and then cut over to our right towards the tree line that we were on. Well, no calling yet. No calling yet. And I ranged it and it was like 123 yards when I ranged it. Could we have taken a shot right then? Yes. Should we have? Maybe. But I'm told Jeremy, I said, I think it's going to come closer because they cross through this area a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking it was going to come closer. So I said, don't shoot yet. Well, then when in the tree line disappeared and, uh, I tried a couple of lip squeaks, didn't see anything after that. I'm like, I said, just give it some time. I said, I wouldn't be surprised that coyote's back because he wasn't spooked. He wasn't, he had not a care in the world. Mm -hmm. So we sat there and waited probably another 20 minutes. And sure enough, he pops out again, same spot he was last time. So he pops out again behind the horses, comes out into the hay. And again, this is still uncut hay. He comes up. There's a path that goes down there to the, where the horses were. He comes up to probably within 20, 30 yards of that. There's a fence there for the horses, keep them in the pasture, you know. And it just starts, it's 
it starts chowing on something and I'm thinking, well, it's probably a mouse or a rabbit they caught, you know, you see that happen often, you know, they grab something, start chewing on it and it just kept chewing on it and it'd pop its head up and that hay is tall enough that um, in the thermal, if he popped his head up, you could see his head and the top of his back, yep. put his head down, you couldn't see squat. So we're watching it in the thermal and it's staying in this one spot and it would be down for a while and then it would pop up and it'd be down for a while and it'd pop up the whole time. These horses are probably like 20 yards off to the left of it. I don't, you know, they didn't, they looked at it, but they didn't, it didn't bother them any. I kind of surprised. Cause honestly, I expected the horses to chase it out of there, Yeah. but maybe these horses are like, I'm old. I don't really care. I don't know. Was it in the fence with them? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It was in the same pasture. They were, um, so we're looking at it and I ranged it. It was like 130 yards, but I told Jeremy, I said, well, I don't want to have a round pass through the coyote and skip and hit a horse. Yeah. I said, not only that, but we have a fence in between us and the coyote with our luck. We'd hit the fence and you could have the bullet ricochet towards the horse. You could just have a missed shot, whatever. And I really wanted this coyote dead. So I said, well, let's give it some time. I said, he's going to wander off sooner or later. I mean, I really wouldn't have expected him to be there for as long as he was. But I bet you we watched that coyote in that same spot for well over 20 minutes. Oh, no kidding. And uh, finally, the horses moved over to the far side and gave us a clear shot. Okay. And I told Jeremy, I said, let's do a countdown, three, two, one. I want to anchor this sucker. I don't want it going anywhere. He said, all right. So he says, all right, three, two, one, shoot on one. I said, yep. So we on it, pops its head up. I count down, three, two, one. Jeremy shot, I didn't. And <laughs> That's how most countdowns go for me. I, I, I really hate doing those countdowns, but <laughs> so. um, We're just not good at it. Right. So this was Jeremy's first time using his new rifle. He's got a Brenton USA rifle. It's a six millimeter arc. I developed the load for him using a 58 grain VMAX out of it um it's shooting really good got it all zeroed in for him but this is his first time using it since he got it and he made a 130 yard headshot on that coyote no problem nice and dumped it right there so we shot it and i said well we've still got daylight left i said let's go collect this coyote we'll bring it back here and then we'll get ready to set up to call after it gets dark because i know there's more coyotes around here everybody knows that you got tall hay and you're looking for a dead coyote it ain't really easy unless you had some good references to where it was yeah i was looking in the completely wrong area because jeremy says yeah it's right over here and hey there's a fawn here walk over there and sure enough that's what this coyote why had been spending so much time there is it had a fawn that it couldn't have been dead long um that it was eaten on um it had eaten the center part of the fawn but the hindquarters were there and the head and front shoulders were there everything in the middle was already eaten yeah um and oh i'll back up a little bit as we we're walking out there, the front field closest to his farm was cut hay. Yep. There's a bunch of deer out there when we walked out. They took off running away from us. As they run off, another there was a fawn out there, and that fawn tried keeping up with them to stay with the adults. About halfway through the field, it said, screw this, I'm laying down, and laid down <laughs> in that cut hay. So that whole time we were out there watching this other coyote, that fawn was like right behind us, probably about 30 yards out. Yeah. And so every now and then we'd turn around and look to make sure another coyote wasn't trying to sneak up behind us and nab that fawn yeah. the whole time we were watching this one. And then when we finally did set up to call it night, we um, 
we're at a point where we could still watch where that fawn was yep. because there's a ravine over there off that edge and i could really easily see one coming up that ravine and coming after that fawn so exactly. we set up so we could watch that fawn and we could watch the rest of the field while we called um well, we got one of the fawn killers out yeah and we did call after it got dark and we had some really good vocals but they were quite a ways away off to our right um and we ended up not seeing any that night and it didn't sound like they came any closer we did give them the howl again but I don't think they were coming any closer. Yeah. So we called it a night, and uh, that was my weekend and last night. Uh, right now, do you seem? I feel like this is the time where you're bound. You're, you're you're more likely to get them talking, but not coming out. No, I would actually disagree. Okay. I think right now with them having pups, which I'm sure most of them do by now. Yep. I think they're going to start getting into that more defensive mode. Yep. And you have fawns on the ground. And I think if you play the right combination between either an intruder, a fight, pup distress, or fawn, I think you have a pretty good chance of seeing them right now. Well, but again, and this is something we're going to talk about a little later in the podcast later here. One thing that I've learned that's been consistent from all of our guests, which most of those guys know a whole lot more about this than we do, mm -hmm. get closer to them. Yeah. Yep. So I really think that, you know, if they're in the distance, close that distance. Or if you know where they're going to be ish, try and get as close as you can. And I think you'll be able to spark a reaction and get an opportunity at them. Yeah. We've heard that time and time again from some of these way bigger names than overdrive outdoors guys. Right. Yep. So that's, that's definitely very helpful for this time of year um saturday i think it was friday actually landowner texted me and his daughter was out i think her two kids were out in the sandbox behind their house and they had two dogs out there also and apparently a coyote come out of the woods at about 60 yards from those two kids and was standing there basically having a face-off with the two dogs in the yard right by these two kids what kind of dogs do they have I don't know. I never, even when I went there hunting, they were not home. I didn't okay. meet them particularly. Um, basically I got their permission to go out and take them. And <laughs> so do you remember a couple of years ago in a giant, giant field, we were having a really slow night and you played peewee loco on about the loudest it could go. And two coyotes finally came in at like way into the set. Like yep. we thought we were done. You remember that spot? Wasn't that the one where we were on a hill and we could see like forever and there's irrigators everywhere and everything where those two coyotes came from that night mm -hmm. is where this now is. Okay. And I told them, I said, I've been trying to get over there for a while anyways, but the farm that owns it is a big name farm. That's got a bunch of people working for it. Probably some of them hunt it, blah, blah, blah. Well, this farm ended up getting sold. So now it's somebody else's and I've got permission now on that farm itself, which is a giant field and the landowner's daughter's place that had the coyotes in the backyard. Mm -hmm. um, so Saturday I made the trip out there to go see it. And, you know, talking to Chris, Chris on the podcast two weeks ago, I told him that I don't do a lot of ground scouting anymore. A lot of times my first time in is hunting and it screwed me this time. And I'll, 
that that is a fact. I should have gone and checked it out when I could see a little bit because I set up. So I had to walk behind the landowner's house through a patch of woods and then come up into this wide open field. Well, the wide open field is open, but it's got so many hills in it that are steep hills. I mean, so we assumed looking at maps, them seeing where the coyotes would go to or come from, there's a little swamp on the north side of this field. And we assumed that that's where they were coming from, was that north side. When I get out there, again, I didn't do my ground homework. I looked at the map, found a high spot on the map, and went out to that high spot in the field. That's what I was going to ask you, is if uh, studying the topo would have helped any. It did, but I couldn't see like the small elevation changes that basically what screwed me was that the hill was big enough that I couldn't I couldn't stand even on top of it and see both sides because it was tall and it was wide. So I had to choose looking north or looking south. We assumed the coyotes were at the north end and I had a northerly wind. So I was hoping I'll call them out of that. They'll have to circle around me. I'll shoot them before they can get my wind. I get out to this field. I walk up to the top of the hill and I'm scanning with thermal looking around both ways and I get to the high spot and I look and, and that's all I could see was that I, it was very easy for me to get backdoored or have one come in anywhere and me possibly not catch it coming or just happen to see it. Well, I set up facing North. I could see the whole swamp edge where we assumed they came out. What was your wind direction? My wind was from the, at that point, it was almost dead west. Okay. So, so you're setting up on a crosswind. Yeah, pretty much. And come to find out, well, I think it was the next set. It was out of the south. So it would have been terrible for where they, where I assumed they were coming from at that point. Yep. But so I get up there, decide I can't see anywhere. I'm going to face north and sacrifice myself. I do a couple, I think I started with rabbit distress just because I was so close to where I thought they were going to be. I was probably within 200 yards of that swamp. And I'm like, light rabbit distress, if one's in there, it should be done already. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I played maybe five, six minutes of that. And then I did uh, Tony Tevy's pups howling. And behind me now, to my south, a group of them lights up. And I could tell that they were, I want to say between a half mile, three quarters of a mile away, but it's pretty wooded back there, pretty thick based on the maps. And I'm like, okay, well, there's some behind me, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing going to pop out in front of me still from the north. So I give a couple minutes and I think I I did a male howl of some sort. And then I did uh, Tony Tevy's Waylon and Jesse. And if you watch that psionics footage that I posted on the Facebook page, those coyotes were all of a sudden right in my pocket somewhere i turned the gun around all the way back we're 180 degrees facing south now i'm sacrificing north but I, when i'm facing south i still can't see down the hill to the wood line so i take a couple steps forward on the hill so i can see down and now i can see about a 20 yard section but there's another hill down the side that now covers up anything 40 yards to my right I move a little bit farther to the right so that I could see down in there. 
And now I can't see anything to the left or to the right, but I can see if they pop out right here. The meanwhile, these coyotes are just sitting there. That howling lasted forever. And there was a lot of back and forth, just yip, 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 just back and forth, like yipping at each other. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to stay right here and see what happens. I can see, I, I could probably see 40 yards maybe of that tree line and everything else I couldn't see from the hills. I kept calling, nothing happened. I didn't hear them. A lot of times in thick cover like that, there was a little bit of wind, but I was only probably 75 yards off that tree line. I figured if coyotes are flying through that, leaves and stuff in there i would at least hear something right i didn't hear anything didn't see anything so i decided i was going to turn back around and face to the north thinking that they might come out around me in the field to go down into this field in front of me right they could use any hill i mean literally any backside of a hill they could have ended up around me at any point so now i'm facing north once again gave up myself and I turn around and look, and there's three of them standing maybe 60 yards from me <laughs> on top of the hill. My call is off to my right, and all three of them are staring dead nuts directly at me. Game over. I was done. I mean, it took them maybe three bounds to be gone down the side of that hill again. But looking at the map again and looking while I was out there, <laughs> realistically, I need like three to four guns out there at that point so everybody can cover a spot on the hill otherwise this is going to happen a lot and when i talked to the landowner about it after that he said yeah i kind of wondered you might end up shooting them pretty close out in that field because of the hills i'm just considering talking to the south landowner that owns those woods and getting in there on the right wind and trying it with a shotgun mm -hmm. because if i hauled them right up on that night there's probably a reason. There's probably a reason why that coyote was a little bit territorial towards them dogs right there. They think there's a den in there. And if I can get in there, kind of sneak in, get vocal with them and scream some pups, I might be able to shotgun one in those woods. Otherwise, I'm going to have to access this property with a south. Well, a south or an east wind would be the best for the north access. And then I'd have a whole lot more field to play with. I was just kind of going this time off of what we had talked about and where we thought the best setup would be, including where the landowner thought the best setup would be. And it was a good setup. It did work. It was effective, but I, <laughs> as raw as it could go, they backdoored me. <laughs> that was my, that was my hunting weekend. I didn't see anything else after that. I made two more completely blank sets with no, I don't even think I saw a deer in hardly any of them until I hit fawn distress. I called in a big doe and that was it. I didn't have any more luck. So here's a question for you. And I was talking with Jeremy about this last night while we were out and about how much, and this applies a lot to that property you were just hunting. And this is something we haven't really discussed much before that I can recall. How much do you think about thermals in terms of, wind and air and scent a lot so in an area like that at night all your scents could be dropping into those low grounds yep do you remember so, in the up calling an old gravel pit and two of them coming flying across it and we sh i shot one on the run as it was yep. leaving 
those coyotes I'm pretty positive got our thermal scent because they were below us and we were standing at the top of that hill. I'm pretty positive our wind blew down into that bottom, right. which is what thermals do. Right. Because you could tell those coyotes smelled it. They oh, yeah. did not see yeah. anything. They smelled something and right. they were going to get out of there. Yeah. Um, I think about that quite often, actually, because even like the, uh, it, we've talked about like runoff from when you get a heavy rain. Right. And coyotes like to run up that. Right. Wind will travel right down that same thing. Right. And a lot of times those are on already you know, they're already on like an elevation change. They're going down the side of a hill or something. That's just a lower spot in that hill now that I feel like that wind, it'd be interesting to take milkweed or something out there and just drop it on some right. of these spots to see what it does. Yep. But setting up in a hilly spot, no matter what wind you've got is risky either right. way, I feel like, because yes, they can, just like a deer can pick up your thermals and they use a, every bit of elevation change to their advantage. Right. I got to believe coyotes do the same thing. And it makes sense. And I think you're right. I agree with it completely. A hundred percent. The only thing is I very rarely think about it because right. I very rarely am hunting many properties that have much of an elevation change. Now, like the property where Jeremy and I were last night, if I go to different areas of it, like I said, it drops down to that swamp. I know there's an elevation change there. And I, that's why I started talking to Jeremy about it because I hunted that by that drop off last week and as the sun went down started dropping i got thinking about that i'm like man with this mm -hmm. sun dropping i bet you my sense going right down into that low ground where i was hoping they were going to show up yep and so i think i need to do a better job of watching stuff like that when i'm hunting areas that have an elevation change yeah especially when it comes down to evening because once it starts to cool off and the wind starts going down it just starts following those ridges down yeah. now if you're out there in the morning and it's heating up it's the opposite it's, it's rising opposite, right but at night most of the time unless it's pretty windy i think that your thermals are just going to pull down into those low spots and it's not going to be necessarily the way the wind is going Right. It's just going to be where it decides to take it off the thermal pole. Right. And um, I've had one hunt that I can remember in particular where I know I'm pretty sure that's what happened to me. I was actually hunting a wood set where there was only a small clearing in it that was, you know, maybe like 20, 30 yards wide. And then the rest of it where I was sitting, it dropped down to a creek bottom with a little opening here. And then it went into thick stuff along the creek. And I remember when I went out and looked at it, beforehand the wind should have been in my favor but like you said as the evening set in the wind started dying down i ended up having a coyote that was really vocal i responded back i started i watched it, it started coming in i'm thinking man this is gonna be cake it gets down into that low ground boom gone yep like, what the heck? and that's i gotta believe that's what it was yeah i mean we pretty much can tell when they hit our scent compared to when they see something when they see something a lot of times they check up and they'll stop and they'll look Right. When they smell something, they usually don't right. even give us the time of day. They no. are gone. Yeah, it's a 180 in a heartbeat. Right. It's a whole different reaction to scent than it is to sight. And I think a lot of times, I, I know those coyotes the other night probably had me skylined. I was on top of a hill. They were a little bit lower than me. All they had to do was pick me off against that skyline, and I was done. And right. every one of them was pegged right on me. I mean, and that, I, I was that, done. That's something else that sometimes you don't think about as well and i know you've probably had it happen you know maybe in that case and i know for a fact i've had it happen especially in the winter time when you got 
snow on the ground. You don't have leaves on the trees. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I've really started to get myself into the habit of is when I walk out to put out the collar, I turn around and look to where I'm going to be standing or setting up. Yep. And, you know, there's a lot of times where I'll turn around and look and I'm like, crap, I'm, we're going to be skyline like crazy. I said, yep. okay, we need to drop down this hill this far. If that means I have to put the collar out further, that's what I'm going to do. But you got to get away from being skyline like that. And it's just amplified more when you don't have leaves on the trees or you got a bright moon or if you have a bunch of snow on the ground. But that's something, and I remember seeing in the videos I used to watch and the other people we've talked to, you know, I don't remember who said it specifically in the video, but I remember a guy saying, when you put your collar out, turn around and look and see what the coyote's going to yeah. see. And if you're wide open exposed, or if you're, if the sun's in your face and you're going to be illuminated, basically, those are the things you got to try and look out for and avoid. Yeah, see now on this spot where my call was, if a coyote came from the north, it wasn't going to skyline me because I had all the trees behind me. Like I said, they were probably 70 yards behind me, but they were on a hillside themselves, so they were they were up above me. They nothing from down below that direction could see me. Right. But since they came from the south, it was nothing but wide open field behind me and sky. Right. Um and not to mention when I got out there there's like a big I don't know if it's a silo, grain mill, what it is off to the to the west side of this property with a bright light on it. And that mm -hmm. don't help any. No. So <laughs> no. It, it's all about learning it. I mean, we've, right. we've told people for a long time, don't skyline yourself. I still right. do it. People, I, right. I will still do it because sometimes like on that one, I don't know how I'm going to set up on it at night without skylining me from one direction or the other. Right. If they come from the north and I set on that same point, they won't skyline me. Right. If they come from my south, they will. But if I move to face just the south, then I can't see anywhere to the north. Right. If I move to see just the north, I can't see anywhere to the south. It's, and that's, it's going to be a tough situation. And that's one of those spots where you might want to really, really look hard at an opportunity when... You have little to no moon and cloud cover. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's, you know, that's one of the things you would look at for to avoid being skyline. And the other thing going back to, you know, you put out the collar, you turn around, look, don't always look at it from standing up. Yeah. A coyote ain't as tall as you are. You drop down. You. Just, well, maybe me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you drop down to a knee and look, you might have a completely different view of what you're going to see there where at a coyote's height because of an elevation change or whatever yeah no i agree i agree there's uh i'm gonna just keep on making mistakes just like everybody else right. <laughs> but and that's I, how we learn and i think that's exasperated more or exaggerated more when you go to a property you've never hunted before and if you haven't scouted it right especially at night because you're not gonna see all that stuff yep yep i definitely think that taking the landowner said you could probably could have shot him right in the backyard and i bet you he was right and if they'll allow me to i can stand right on their back porch and call them in yep. um then i would be able to see oh cow pasture and about a hundred yard wide open spot where obviously it's like the kids play area but if he tells me to do it i will definitely do it right 
Um, as long as I have landowner permission, I can right. be right there next to the house. Yep. And now that I'm shooting suppressed, it's not nearly as bad either. Right. Um, but I might honestly try that next time because I almost would guarantee that I could have brought them right into their yard. You know what? That might be a really good spot to try one that's like a coyote dog fight sound. Yeah. I think what Tony Tebby has at least one that's like a little dog demise or something yeah. like that. Yep, he's got that a couple be... of them that got hounds barking at right. him and stuff like that too. So I don't know. It just those ones to me just I don't think I've ever played any of those on set because I'm like, oh I just don't ever think about playing dog and coyote sounds. It just right. doesn't to me it just doesn't make sense. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> yep. But you never know. Trying something different can oftentimes work out pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cat distress works pretty good when people aren't using it. <laughs> yep. I've had good luck with cat, kitten. I've used a uh, baby skunk with good success, yeah. baby goat. Um, just every now and then some of those off the wall ones. Well, shoot, you were with me one night. We played uh um the crying baby sound from Tony Tabby and mm -hmm. called one in. Yep. Which that one completely shocked me. <laughs> yep. No, and I have uh um, I have a sound Carter, my oldest boy, three, four years ago, his, his voice was kind of changing and he was making a really good pup distress with his voice. Mm. I've killed coyotes off that sound. And I'm the only one that has that sound. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll play it every once in a while. Cause it's a, it's super secret. Nobody else got it. And those coyotes don't hear it very often. So it's, it's change of pace, change of cadence, change of pitch, everything that might sometimes be that trigger that you need, especially in areas. I mean, I'm pretty sure now every coyote in the state probably heard a call. Right. I mean, I don't see how they couldn't have any more. Well, except for the new dumb ones. Well, that's true. That's only for a limited time only because they're going to hear it. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to hear something at some Dinner! <laughs> Right. Yep. For sure. So one thing I wanted to touch on, um, thinking back, I mean, we've done how many, what's the number of podcasts we're up to now? This is episode 104. Okay. Episode 104. So we've done 103. Right. 103. What would you say stands out that you've learned from our guests that we've had on here? That they all struggle the same way as every single person we've ever talked to about coyote hunting. They all started the same struggle. They all started not knowing anything about wind. They all started not knowing anything about what call to sound or call to play when they all started based off of things. They saw things they heard and just going out there and trying it. And you know what? It surprised the hell out of me is Tori cook saying that he started with a, what was it? A little tykes recording yeah. or radio thing that he, yep. he was tired of the kids music that was on it so he replaced it with coyote sounds yep like that's the kind of stuff that looking from outside you would have never even dreamed that that was how that all happened mfk started off of a guy playing coyote sounds on a little tykes radio that right. doesn't even make sense to me but that's the kind of stuff man it's good to see that some of these guys that are so well for being coyote for, that are known so well for being extremely good coyote hunters all started the same way. And there's so many people that there's a lot of people we see give up, given, you know, throw in the towel. 
there's a lot of people we see that'll buy a whole setup in the winter time and by spring this just wasn't what i thought it was going to be and they're done if it's because you're not having luck it's just because you got to learn a little bit longer there's these things are not the dumbest creatures in the world and that's one thing for sure that i've picked up on from a lot of these guys is that they all went through the same struggle they called in coyotes downwind didn't kill them they called in coyotes that they never knew were there until they were making noise um coyotes coming in that they couldn't get a shot at because they weren't ready you know that's the same kind of stuff that i i believe you've gone through i know i've gone through and to see it like i said from some of these higher end up guys is like well everybody's human i guess <laughs> right what else um has, has there been anything that you've heard that you've applied in the field so far well John Collins talked a little bit about using growling in his yep. podcast. He said that that's one of his things that he likes to do a lot. I've tried to do some of it, but I don't have any like that I think of. I don't have any strictly just growling coyotes. Usually it's mixed in with some kind of a pup distress or something. It's like a little bit of a fight. Um, I don't have any just coyote growls or anything like that. Um, but I have tried sounds that I know have some growling in them. Can I say that I've gotten any good out of it? No, not honestly, but let's be realistic. I haven't called coyotes nearly as hard in the last probably two years as I did a long time before that. So right. me applying it and not having luck might just be that tomorrow I could have killed 10 of them off of it, but I right. just, I got a bunch of other stuff I'm doing right now. So right. applying all the stuff to the field, um, moving in, I mean, not that we didn't already have that idea from learning it ourselves. That one is preached often. We talked about it a little bit earlier in this episode. Um, moving in on vocal coyotes that aren't aren't coming to you. That's how I've shotgunned a couple coyotes. That's how I missed one with the bow last year. I got him vocal. I got close to him. I hit the howl again and missed one with my bow. Um, moving in is one that I think everybody should learn to take and and use it into consideration in their own hunts because it's definitely effective at just breaking that barrier and getting right there that just seems like a lot of times they can't take it and they don't want you there and if you don't bump them you're probably going to be able to call that coyote in other than that man i mean a lot of it has been I mean, let's be honest, before talking to some of these guys, we've already heard a lot of their tactics from following them, from being friends with them, from from watching Facebook pages and hunting tactics and YouTube channels. Recording with a lot of these guys, for me, was more of getting an in-depth dig into who they are as yep. people, more yep. so than techniques. And again, I might sound like I'm being a little cocky, but I know kind of how to call coyotes. And I've known for a while learning how to do it based off of all the tips that all these people have given before podcasts were even around, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of things that, you know, just, just like moving in and stuff that, that stick with me all the time. Okay. I know I got them howling. Can I get closer and how do I approach it if I can? That's probably the biggest one that for me has come into, yeah, it it absolutely works, but it's not one that I just now picked up on from any of our episodes, you know? It's it's more like a reaffirmation or a yeah. reemphasis on something because yeah. we've 
like you said, we, I mean, we've talked about it before, but having it reaffirmed from multiple people we've had on this podcast that they all say the same thing yeah you know, it just reaffirms that that's a sound tactic and i think sometimes having that reaffirmation really pushes you to have it in the forefront of your mind that okay they hauled way over their crap no no not crap i'm gonna move closer if right. i can and set up and see what happens yep now um, one thing for sure i know last year it might have been on our first episode with tony tebby our the first your first uh class with tony tabby mm -hmm. uh, episode we talked because i had a group of coyotes howling like the night before we talked with him and i kept calling thinking i was going to call him in and then i moved over and tried to call him closer and tony said i would have picked up right then and there and moved in right now instead of letting them go do whatever they wanted to right. and then trying to go back over there and bring them in that's one that i have picked up on a little bit and i've done that some more if I, I don't know about you. Do you ever get out there now and about 10, 15, even 20 minutes in, you're kind of just sitting there thinking it's not going to happen here. Oh yeah. I've gotten to that point and I've allowed it to take me out of a field a lot sooner now. Um, I mean, I might do sets right now that are only 15 minutes long and I just kind of get a feeling like, man, I, I just don't feel like something's going to happen here. And I got plenty of other spots to go hit. So while I feel like I'm wasting time, I might as well go try something different. So hearing them howl and then quickly moving on them doesn't bother me nearly as much now. It used to be that hearing them howl and then calling and calling and calling and calling, trying to get them to break that distance was my go-to method. Mm -hmm. Not anymore because I don't feel like I'm giving anything up. If I leave a field and, and go kill a coyote, I'm that's fine. If that's what it takes to do it, getting up early, moving over and getting close, then that's what I'm willing to do now. But a lot of that has come from literally just being on a field edge going, this don't feel right right now. Like, I just don't think this is going to happen. And now I'm going to leave and go kill one where I just heard of my own. Right. Um, you know, I, I'll say in my experience, it's been a lot of what you just said too on some of the same things, you know, cutting the distance, moving in on them. The one um, from John Collins, like you said, using those different, more like social vocalizations that aren't howls. Um, and it, that's been in my mind as well a lot. Um, and personally, I think that's one of those cases where, again, you're going to, want to be closer to him to get that stuff to work. I mean, if you watch John Collins's videos, I mean, he's probably setting up within, I don't know, he told us at one point, but he's probably setting up within 100 yards of where he thinks they are when he does those social sounds. This is Fox, so, Pro, Fox Pro TV, right? Yeah. Um, and prior to that, it was what, Tooth and Claw TV? Yep. Um, you know, if you watch any of those videos on YouTube's, YouTube, you'll see that that's what he's doing. So I think in those areas, and I think this time of year, all the way through like fall, would be good opportunities for that. I think once you start getting into breeding season, I'm not sure if that it still should be all right. Um, prior to that, you know, like from after breeding season through when they have pups, that time frame there, I don't know how good that would be. You know what I mean? I yeah. guess. But once they have the dens and maybe the pups are out through the rest of the year i think those would be good tactics and i'll probably try them out this year um 
so that's one of the things I picked up a lot on, uh, you know, the different, there's, you know, one thing is kind of common theme almost too, between like Tori and Tony talking about how much credit people give to the intelligence of the coyotes and yeah, they're smart, but it's all about finding that right trigger. And, you know, I know you talked about it when you've been out there hunting with Tony, he'll just rapid fire through different sounds and no pause. Yeah. And what he's looking for is sooner or later, one of those sounds is going to have the right pitch, the right cadence, the right, whatever that's going to get him to come. Yeah. And Tori mentioned that a little bit too. He also mentioned, you know, once you get that right sound, and this is something else we've heard from a lot of guys. Once you get that right sound, run it. Yeah. And once it starts working good, run it through that night if it yep. keeps working. Yep. Um, and again, that's a reaffirmation of stuff we've doing. Like when Jeremy and I won the GLRPC in 2018, uh, that whole night, once we started hitting den raid, every single coyote we killed that night was off den raid. Yep. You know, so a similar theme there. Um Another thing that I thought was interesting that I hope to apply at some point this year is using gummy worms to catch fish. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> so we're breaking it up over more than just the coyote hunting. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're talking about everything. I mean, we've had of 104 <laughs> podcasts, we've talked about more than just coyote hunting. Yeah, and, and you know, another one that sticks out to me, and actually because he actually texted me earlier, Mike Avery, um, he has been through he's been through a lot of sides of the outdoor networking i would say as far as outdoor tv outdoor media all different kinds of things and i feel like at one point i used to think man it would be cool to get you know a tv show and somebody follow you around with a video camera and watch you deer hunt watch coyote hunt whatever and now, you know, Mike told us basically that he thinks we're doing it the right way, putting together our little videos, putting them up on a YouTube channel. You're not paying anybody for TV time. You're not paying anybody for airtime. And I'm not shitting on anybody that does it. If that's your thing, have at it and we will watch it. Mm-hmm. For us, though, I'm kind of glad we're not into that big of the limelight because I just like doing it how we're doing it. And putting what we do together for people we, we have and thank you to all of you that follow everything we do and watch our videos and stuff you know we don't we're not professionals by any means we're not professional video editors we're not running professional equipment we're not running even hardly any high-end equipment besides maybe our scopes and stuff so i just think that that was kind of cool to hear him kind of say that the way he did it isn't how he would do it now you know and and the way he would do it now is more of how we do it um plus you know he does his wednesday night lives and wednesday morning lives and all that stuff and he he's just a great guy in general that's one of the things i've pulled from a lot of these people is just and you know as well as i do there's been a couple of them where we've gone in not really knowing how it was going to go and at the end of it we're like man that was awesome that dude was so cool you know compared to stuff we've seen heard dealt with before it's like man there was no problem there and and talking to that guy got us into a you you feel like you know him a lot better at the end of these conversations you know and and i think getting people out of their box and just talking about something that they love to talk about helps with that helps to see the outside or, or you know the inside of a person a little bit better and 
that um everybody that's taken the time to record with us thank you all so much for doing it because it it really it's an eye-opener to what the people are like and a lot of these guys are people that we've looked up to for a long long time you know randy anderson we've we've looked up to him watched his videos for a long time and then just to have him be able to come on and talk to us and just i came out of that knowing a lot more about randy and about why he started and that's the other thing man is how many guys started back in the day doing it for money and food and fur right um not anymore Uh, that's not the reason for getting into coyote hunting unfortunately now it's because it's so much fun we can hunt 24 7 year round pretty much and it's a necessity anymore i think I, i i think we need coyote hunters out there we need predator hunters trappers are going away i mean we need the the predator numbers kept in check so i don't know just seeing people seeing people come up and some of them some of them didn't even hunt until they they decided to do it themselves and now they're you know they got their tv shows they got their channels that are huge they you know they're well-known people and they all came up no different than the rest of us just choices people make and how many of the people that we've had on here have been, you know, as I mentioned, I think in uh, the last one with Tori Cook, um, mentioning that it became the American dream for them. It's people that took a passion that they had or they developed and turning it into a livelihood. I mean, we've had, you know, um, we've had uh, Mr. Stewart on here. We've had Tori. We've had Tony. We've had steve kreiner we've had all these guys that actually built it into big companies now that make their living off this passion that they have and to me that says a lot and you know one of the reasons i wanted to do that series of podcasts with these people is because of like you mentioned you see facebook posts you see youtube videos you see chat discussions or arguments with whatever and you get a viewpoint of some of these people but if you really talk to them outside of that you really get to learn more about what these people are like and it to me it was an eye-opener kind of like what you said it it in a positive way yeah i mean some of these people you go in thinking man i'm just little old kevin over here in michigan that doesn't do squat and now i'm talking to this guy that has you know youtube channel tv show runs this company does this does that that i grew up watching way and above what i do and then to have it turn into a real down-to-earth conversation and learn what you know why they got into it how they got into it what they're doing with it um to me it's been an eye-opener into a lot of these people and that was kind of my goal with doing that podcast and i'm very happy that these people have been willing to come on and do that with us and all that we've been able to learn from them and about them um and just as a side note there's still a bunch of guys that i would like to get on here and i don't know you know if any of you guys that listen to this that haven't been on here you know we'd love to have you on there i know there's a few names in particular that i've tried numerous times to get them to come on here and we haven't had it happen yet, but there's still a few guys I'm trying to target to get on here. Um, if anyone wants to nudge a few guys like, you know, Les Johnson, <laughs> for one, um, there's a couple other ones out there, too, that I'd really like to have them on here um, for the same thing, you know. 
Um, Les Johnson's been around forever um, and does a lot of stuff, has a heck of a knowledge base and all that. Um, so I'd like to get him on there. Our own Yote Head here in Michigan, Ed Gatchewski, I'd like to get him on here. <laughs> um, you know, and there's a Yo, few Ed, other... Listen, huh? man, we need you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I actually sent him a message, uh, was it today or yesterday, and told him, I said, man, when are we going to get you on here? You said after first season. He said, yeah, timing just isn't working right now. But that's okay. <laughs> just know that we want to get you on here at some point. That is probably the hardest thing I'm finding with doing a podcast for anybody that's trying to get them. There's some people that automatically want a paycheck. I'll say that straight up. We've heard it already. And if you feel like you're owed one, then that's fine. But this probably isn't going to be the podcast for you. We're sorry. (laughs) Um, We aren't making a paycheck out of it. No. (laughs) Therefore, cannot afford to pay a a paycheck out. Right. but we've had we've had it's it's difficult to kind of line up some of these conversations with timing. I mean, yeah. I've been trying to get a crappie episode together for two months, and it's a uh, timing and scheduling and TV show and all stuff getting in the way that's not allowing it to happen. So getting some of these guys and getting our timing with people who are maybe three hours different than we are. Right. That's also difficult because it's like, yeah, we can record at eleven p.m. your time, like. Well, Nobody wants to do that, you know, right. um, but no, it's, uh, it's been a fun ride this far. It just, there's so much stuff that we could, I could probably go back and pick through a bunch of episodes and just keep listening to them. Anything with Buck Wells. I love that old man, Santa mm. Claus. You are a good person. Um, <laughs> I believe he's one of those people you could sit around a fire with for hours and never get bored, never run out of stories. Um, he, he's uh, not to pick on your age there, Buck. he's got that old soul that I like in people. Right. And, and I find that to be, uh, those are the kind of people I like to be around the, yep. the more older style. That's why we're friends. I like you. I, I like your old style. Right. Um, but no, I just, it's, it's been, it's been very interesting to, to get the inside look one-on-one with some of these guys and just, in in more ways than one little old us can relate to these people who were nothing but little old them for a long time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it, we're going to have more, we're going to get, I mean, as everyone hopefully knows, we're not just predator hunters. I mean, Josh has been doing a lot in fishing. We oh, yeah. all do a lot in cooking, you know, even some homesteading stuff, shooting. I mean, we got guys that do a lot of different stuff and, not only just on our group, but we want to get more people on the podcast to have a varied subject matter in the podcast to hopefully cover a little something that everyone would like to listen to. Yeah. And even if you are somebody that's just getting into anything like this and you want to learn and you've got questions you want to ask, we've done more than one with that, mm-hmm. with just a Q&A where you sit here and talk with us. We are willing to talk to just about anybody because we have no reason to single anybody else out. We've been beginners. We've been moderate at everything and we've been good at some stuff, but it took us coming up from beginners where everybody just starts out as and learning a lot of things the hard way. So for us to be able to give some of that back, I mean, without the people that follow this podcast, without the people that follow our pages, we wouldn't be anywhere where we are today. We'd have no reason to have a podcast if we didn't have 
people following the page. We'd have no reason to continue going out there and putting together videos for people to watch because nobody would watch them if, if nobody cared. Right. That's the reason why we do these. So getting people on that are just getting started and want to learn some of this stuff. And yes, there's a lot of people that say, well, it's, you need to just go learn the hard way. It doesn't always have to be that way. If you got some knowledge, pass it on because otherwise it's just going to stay with you and you're not going to keep it when you die. So you might as well pass some of it on. And we've talked about it before. I would much rather you call in a coyote and kill it than call it in 10 times and educate the hell out of it. And then I got to go try to clean it up later somewhere else. And it just don't want the call. anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we don't mind talking about that stuff. We're all, we're all humans. We all started the same way. Wanting well, to learn. And not only that, but now more than ever, it's important that we pass this stuff down to the generation that's coming up. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that sometimes it may bite us in the butt because then you have someone that all of a sudden is maybe hitting the same resources you are, whether it be your favorite fishing hole or your favorite deer ridge that you like to sit on or what have you, you know, or they say your name at a landowner's house after they knock on the door and tell them that you hunt with them, but you've never even <laughs> met them, but they give them permission because they said your name. That right. happens also. I've, I've Right. And the thing is, you heard know, from a little birdie. <laughs> right. But that's the thing too. I mean, all we can do is try and tell people what we think the best way to do things is. And the part of that is your, the moral aspect of it about being a good sports person, having respect for your fellow hunters, but at the same time, you know, passing down information to hopefully help them. And at the same time, you know, I would like to think about it and you as a parent think about it as well. I want, if my kids decided this is what they wanted to do, I want them to have the knowledge to be able to go do it and pass it down to their kids and their kids and their kids. Yep. And if we don't share it, that won't happen. If we don't get people involved, that won't happen. Um, you know, we try and stay out of politics on this page as much as we can, but if we <laughs> don't have, huh? What, what? But if we don't have <laughs> people involved and people interested there's not going to be anyone there to stand up for it when they try and stop us from doing what we love to do. I mean, we're seeing it in other states already. I mean, there's states that have had bans on uh, hunting contests. There's states that have outlawed trapping now. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff out there. And as everyone knows, your gun rights are constantly under assault now more than ever. But getting people involved, teaching people about it, in my opinion, is going to be one of the things that's going to help ensure that for future generations. You know, if my kids want to do it, my grandkids want to do it, whatever, I want them to be able to. And without having people involved, we may very well lose that opportunity. Yeah, no matter what, this podcast should hopefully always be available to listen to. So this kind of information should always be out there for people that do want to get into it, that can look it up and say, look, they got Q&As from new guys and they got guys that have been doing it for 50 years right you know that we've got all across the board so i definitely agree though passing it on and right now it's a little difficult with my kids um even with fishing it's like you guys want to go no you guys want to go no you guys want to go no guys you're going today <laughs> i mean i just kind of have to force it but i said i wasn't going to force that kind of stuff anymore but like on the boat i'm like you guys don't have to fish 
but you're not sitting in the house anymore. We're, right. we're going out to do something else. And if you guys bring your fishing poles, I start what? There's, there's a, uh, a whole hashtag I've been following on TikTok about Gen Xers, which I'm really? a Gen Xer. Okay. And there, <laughs> my wife sent me one today and, uh, this person's on there talking about how come they ain't calling out Gen Xers? How come we ain't calling them out for stuff? And people are like, you do not want to call out a Gen Xer. <laughs> um, one of the things they talk about on there was about people drinking out of a hose. You know, yeah. we talk about that a lot. I grew up drinking out of a hose. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> and this guy's on there like, we're sinks, not an option. And this lady's like, you don't understand. The sinks were not an option. You weren't allowed in the house. You were told, go out and play. Come back when the streetlights come on, if you even have streetlights around. And, you know, it's a similar thing. You know, I mean, I was the same way growing up. My kids or my parents were like, go out and play. Yeah. You didn't. I mean, when video games started to coming around like Pong, age myself a little bit there, or in television or Atari, um, you know, we were allowed to TV have... was black and white and films were silent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if we were allowed to do that, a lot of times my parents are like, you got half an hour. Yep. Other than that, you better be outside or doing homework. Yep. And you didn't want to do homework. So guess what? My butt was outside. Dude, that, but... we talked about that the other day because I'm like, I used to have a sandbox that I would build some wicked sweet car tracks on with jumps and tunnels and all kinds of stuff. And you guys minesweeper on the playstation like right. burn that crap off <laughs> i mean know. i'm i'm a very strict one with that there's a little more leniency when i'm not here but when i get home that don't that thing better be off and you're outside if it's 80 outside you can't go out you can't tell me it's too cold now like you did all winter right well, now you got no excuse <laughs> and if it's too hot turn on a sprinkler <laughs> <laughs> well that's one argument i've always had with alicia she's because she's like well when it's cold out, you know, I can only put on so many clothes. I'm like, no, you can put on clothes. You can wear blankets. When it's hot out, I can't go outside and just remove as many clothes as I need no. to stay comfortable. Well, not legally. <laughs> I will be in jail. <laughs> right. No, but we're, uh, we're getting to that time now where I would say, I would say now if you want to get into aggressive, hard charging coyotes, it's going to be about that time. Yes. Uh -huh. I agree. It's going to be rolling in here real quick. I know in some areas it's already hit. Um, you know, it seems like the further west you go, it earlier it happens, and the further south it happens earlier. And I think we're like one of the last areas to see the stages. I think that's different based on the geography. And I think it's still just starting or going to be starting real soon for us. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be good getting on vocals and pup distress here soon. Pretty quick here. I'll probably be playing pup vocals and pup fight, pup howl, and those will be the majority of my stands. Obviously, I'll be mixing in baby cottontail. Baby cottontail this time of year is usually a pretty good killing sound. Um, but yeah, it's about to uh, it's about to get interesting. I got one big farm cutting all his alfalfa on Friday night this week. Nice. It's Memorial Weekend. That means I'm going to have three full nights. The problem is I got to decide if I want to go spend the night out there or if I want to spend the day on waves right now, Kevin, I got to be honest. It's Quit being a sissy. Do both. It's well, I did that. I did that Sunday. I hunted Saturday night and Sunday morning until two. And then I got up Sunday morning and made some breakfast and ended up going out fishing later in the afternoon. So, so I could do that for sure. But so here's, here's what you do. And I was actually thinking about doing that this weekend, spend the evening at home. Yep. Go to bed with the family get up at like three in the morning 
You go hunt coyotes until just before daylight. Then you come home, switch, go out on the boat in the morning. Are you saying you want to come up and get on the boat in the morning? I told you I have to work this weekend. Well, you're going to have to call off. I can't. <laughs> they actually, they just had a big thing about that at work. You're not allowed to call off if it's your weekend. Now you're going to get in trouble if you do that crap. So, All right. So don't call off. But what, yeah. Are you working full days? Yeah. we have, That's the other thing. We have to work a full shift too. So you'll be there till 2.30? Yeah, 2.30, 2.45. So you wouldn't be able to get up to me till like 5? Right. So we wouldn't be able to fish for long. Right. Fun. Well, let's still try to put our heads together and get out Sunday night if we can. Okay. Yeah, I'm good for that wherever we want to go. Well, yeah. you know where I want to go. Right. But I'm just saying if the wind isn't right for that, we can always go somewhere yeah. else. Well, I got, uh, well, Greg killed his last two with me on our last podcast. He wants to go. He's like, dude, you got me hooked. I'm not going to quit bothering you now. So he wants to go and he wants to meet you too. So we'll try to try to figure out something for Sunday. Okay. Sound good? All right. Sounds good. Anything up else to finish up? Nope. I think we're good. Almost two hours worth. Yeah. That's just, it's been a long time since we hung out. I haven't gotten to hug you or anything. It just, I know. Got to talk. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, if you've made it this far, we sure do appreciate you listening. <laughs> episode 104 guys we uh I, I never knew how far this podcast would make it honestly because it's literally up to our time schedules what we can get done when we can do it then sitting down and editing and this is all between full-time jobs everything we got going on in our own houses not getting paid not making a massive income like some people might believe but we uh we're happy to see people that message us and say, man, we like this. We didn't like this. You should try this. Um, we appreciate all that kind of feedback, positive, negative, whatever. If it's yep. going to help us get better, call us whatever names you want to, to tell us. It's great. <laughs> all right. um, but yeah, if you're, if you're still listening, we definitely appreciate it. Um, make sure you go check out Predator Hunter Outdoors hunt wise. They are the ones mostly bringing this podcast to you. Uh, Predator Hunter Outdoors, for those that haven't heard it ever before, I mean, he's got our thermals, night vision, tripods, mounts, uh, adapters, everything you could need, infrared illuminators, everything for coyote hunting is right there at Predator Hunter Outdoors. HuntWise Maps, we've been using them for two years. My favorite function on there still is the wind mapping. Yeah, um, being like able to, to look ahead in time and see which way the wind direction is going to be and i've found it to be very accurate so if you don't have one that's you know maybe you're struggling getting a good wind direction out of it or seeing ahead of time where the wind's going to be going anything like that that is my favorite part of the HuntWise app um but if you haven't checked it out go ahead and do so both of them predator hunter outdoors HuntWise, kevin thanks for sitting down and talking tonight Thank you. It was nice chat. Absolutely. All right, everybody. We will talk to you all next week on the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Have a good night.